Take a seat. And uh, if uh, you've shut your Bible after the reading, if you could turn back to page 1050 in the Church Bibles, Luke 16, as we continue this series uh, looking at some of the stories that Jesus told. Ever since I started working for the Anglican Church some years ago, someone has been taking money out of my pay. It happens every month. I don't know who he is. Uh, he's putting it, I'm told, into some super fund. I'm hoping a very effective super fund. I, I imagine some guy sitting in an office somewhere, maybe in London, I don't know where he is, uh, and he's a fund manager. And he doesn't just have uh, my super, he has many others as well. And uh, day by day he makes decisions about what to do with this money that he takes off me every single month. Uh, and I assume he's making decisions in order to make sure that when I retire, I retire with unspeakable wealth. Uh, I I try to imagine this man with the world's biggest brain and uh, he works 24-7 making these decisions for me and for others. Now, if you were to meet this man and to walk into his office and take a glance at his computer screen and uh, see on that screen uh, spreadsheets with all sorts of accounts and investments, you could easily make the mistake of thinking that this man was extremely rich. But he's not. It's not his money. He's just a fund manager. And today as we continue this look at some of the stories Jesus told, we come to a story that is going to tell us that when it comes to our money, when it comes to our resources, that is what you and I are. We're fund managers. And it would be a mistake to think that it was our money that we were dealing with. And so let's pray. Let's ask for God's help as we look at that together. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you so much for your word. We thank you that even in simple stories that Jesus told, you can change our life completely. And so we do pray that you give us humility before this story. Speak to us so that we may be faithful to you. Speak to us so that we may be joyful. And speak to us so that we may honour you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Luke 16, page 1050, if you don't have it open, it's the story of the shrewd manager, the story of the fund manager. And it is, uh, like all of Jesus' stories, uh, quite simple. Uh, It's apparently meant to be uh, the most difficult of Jesus' story, but really when you look at it, it's about something very simple and very clear. It's about money. It's about something we think about a lot, something that we find incredibly useful. I mean, money is pretty central, isn't it, to the way we operate. Jesus knows this. And he doesn't pretend otherwise. He doesn't say, well, let's not talk about our money. He knows how embedded it is in our whole lives and so he speaks about it a lot. One in seven verses in the Gospels is about our money. He knows we think about it a lot and so he speaks about it. He speaks about our money and our possessions. He he does it because he knows it's important to us. And so let's look at this story and what he has to say about our money. As I said, the story itself is quite simple. If you look there in verse 1, it's a story of a rich man, a very rich man. The amounts of money that this guy is lending out are enormous. This is a man who's clearly involved in big business. And so given this, he organises a man who will deal with his day-to-day business. He doesn't have the time to do that and so he organises this guy, this this fund manager, a CEO really, given the size of the business empire, to look after the day-to-day. 
But there's a problem and not a small one. Do you see it there in verse 1? This CEO, this fund manager has been dodgy and it comes to the attention of the rich man and he knows his manager has wasted his positions and he is not happy. And so the manager is to be sacked. That's a given in our story. There's no way back from that. But the rich man does something unusual. He says, look, you're going to be fired, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a moment before that happens to get things in order. You see that in verse 2. Just a moment. I want you to get the books in order because I'm going to come and look at them and I want, I want them to be in order. Now, I'm not sure what the rich man has in mind here. It's not usual practice if you have a dodgy employee. It's usually sacked on the spot. Maybe the rich man's hoping he'll come back and he'll own up and he'll fix the mess, a bit like Zacchaeus does in a few chapters where he's been dodgy with money and he goes about fixing all his mistakes. Maybe he'll ask for forgiveness. But this CEO, this fund manager, is more crafty than that. You see what he does? He knows the axe is about to fall. He knows he only just has a moment before it does. And so he starts to make plans for his future. First in verse 3, he assesses his situation. He knows this crisis is coming. He knows he's about to get the chop and he acts quickly. He says, I'm not strong enough to beg, to dig. I'm not going to be able to do a manual job. I've never been able to work with my hands, so that's not going to work. I'm definitely too ashamed to beg. And so verse 4, he makes a plan. I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job, because I know that's coming, people will welcome me into their houses. I will prepare for the future. And so he does. You see it there, verse 5? He called in one of the master's debtors and he asked the first one, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, we don't have much time, and make it 400. I mean, can you picture the scene? It all happens very quickly. This nervous moment, the debtor looks at the manager and says, you've got to be kidding, right? He says, no, 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 this is what we're going to do. The manager nods and the debtor marks his sheet, and it is done. In a moment, this huge debt has been slashed. The debtor's life has been changed forever and the manager has a new best friend. And I imagine he does this again and again and again with every single one of the debtors. It's an ingenious plan, don't you think? He only had a moment, so simple. He had nothing. Actually, he had one thing, this moment to shape the future. A moment to use the rich man's money to change the future. And now all of a sudden he has an address book of new friends. People who will welcome him into their homes. It's a strange story, isn't it? Coming from Jesus' lips. And it gets even stranger if you look at verse 8. I mean, you expect the manager to get slammed for what he's done. He's been even more dodgy than he was before. And yet this is what the master says. The master commended the dishonest manager. He opens his books. He starts to do the sums. He's looking at it and he's thinking, something's happened here. And it dawns on him what the manager has done. It's cost him a lot. But he can't help but admit how clever this scheme is. You cheeky monkey. You've worked out a way to build a future. In just a moment, you are brilliant. I knew there was a reason I employed you. And there it is. 
this strange story. Hardly what we'd expect, as I said, from Jesus, but I put it to you that in this strange little story we have something very big to hear. You see, the key point of the parable is in verse 8. It's found in the rich man's commendation of his manager. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. He's praised because he's shrewd. He's praised because of his practical wisdom that he knew his situation, that he made a plan and he acted on it. The rich man sees this shrewdness and he can't help but praise him for it. And Jesus tells us this story to make the point that we Christians, we people of the light as he calls us in verse 8, are all too often nowhere near as shrewd as this guy when it comes to our money. In fact, Jesus says, as he continues in the verse, the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. The children of this age, the people who live life for here and now, and that's it, who are unaware of God, who don't know or care about Christ, who don't know about his death and his resurrection and his imminent coming again, are much more shrewd with things that matter to them than we are, says God than people who know God, than people who know the difference Jesus makes, people who know how good it will be when he returns. We're nowhere near as shrewd. Jesus' accusation is rather than acting shrewdly, we as Christians can often be careless and clumsy and sloppy with the things that matter most to us. Jesus wants us to act as shrewdly as this manager does because he knows our situation is not dissimilar. And I suspect when we read this, most of us would say yes to that. I know it's similar. I know Jesus' return is imminent. I know I only have a small moment here. But Jesus says, while we know that, we don't always act like we do. In fact, the people of this world are more shrewd in their dealings with their own kind than the people of the light. And he's right. Let me give you some examples of just how shrewd the people of the world really are. Take, for instance, uh, the company Coca-Cola, huge company, and they have their ambition whenever they're going into a new market to find the most obvious, prominent place to put a giant neon Coke billboard that says Coke is in town. And they do this in every capital city in the world. If you ever go to Sydney, right there as you drive into the heart of Sydney is a giant neon Coke sign. And I have a friend who who used to drive a, a cab in Sydney and he was pointing this out once to one of his passengers, telling him this story about what Coke does, and it turned out that the guy in the back of his cab was the manager for Coke in the Asia Pacific. And he was so excited that somebody knew what, what Coke was doing. He was so excited about his job. And for what? Black sugar water. We're the people of the light. People who have forgiveness and hope and the wonderful promise of restored relationship with God. We have the gift of Jesus. This guy just has black sugar water and he is more excited about what he is doing than we often are. Coke's marketing slogan is make every drop count. They don't want to waste a drop. They are shrewd operators. Or take the company Unilever. I used to work for Unilever in Australia, a huge multinational company who who are masters at business, from from ice cream all the way to soap. And my particular focus was uh, deodorant. (laughs) Uh, Let me tell you, these guys know how to make money. Really, when you think about it, there's only so much you can increase the sales of deodorant. There's only so much deodorant one person can use. (laughs) Well, that's what you'd think. 
But what they did in the time that I was there is that they got the, the roll-on deodorants and they thought, what we'll do is we'll increase the size of the ball in the roll-on. And what we'll talk about in the ads of being a smoother glide uh, for you, a, a, a better experience, which is rubbish. <laughs> All that's happening is you're using more. And then they get the spray and what they do is they put a new valve in it and they talk about better flow delivery. It will deliver it straight to your armpit. (laughs) Which again is rubbish. All that's happening is it's spraying all over the room as you're doing this. And uh, who knows how much deodorant they use? You don't. You just, when it runs out, you think, I better get another one. And that's what they did. Shrewd operators. Jesus says, look at the people of the world. They are super committed and thought out about things like soft drink and soap. We need to be that way about our stuff. He wants us to take our cue from this manager because we have this window of opportunity to get things in order and we need to take it like he did. Now to my mind there are a huge amount of implications for us when we start to think about what this is going to mean for us as a church. But for today I want to pick on the application that Jesus gives us in the passage. You see it there in verse 9. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus says a Christian needs to be shrewd with their worldly wealth, their money. No, it won't last, he says. But here in this window of time, before God rolls up our world like a blanket, before money will be irrelevant, here and now it can be used shrewdly to affect the future. And we know that, don't we? We know how much money can affect and shape our future and the plans we make in our lives. You see, verse 9 is not a picture of some desperate loser looking for friends. Jesus isn't saying, use money to buy friends. Nor is it a picture of buying your way into heaven or buying God's favour. And here the NIV translation in front of us I think lets us down a little bit. It says to us, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings if you're shrewd with money. As if you'll be welcomed by God who was, and that welcome is dependent on your use of your money. But the truth is our welcome into heaven, having God's favour rest on us costs a lot more than all the money you could muster. It costs the blood of his son. And so that's not what being shrewd is about here. Now we need to look again at verse 9. Let me give you another translation. Have a look at it. A more literal translation. It says, Make friends for yourselves with your money so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. They may welcome you. You see, you follow the advice that Jesus is giving us here and you won't just be welcomed into heaven by your king. You will be welcomed by friends that you have made with your money, but only if you're shrewd with it. Let me give you an example of what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, Each year, uh, for some time now, we as a church family have set aside significant funds to appoint ministry trainees. Uh, They work with us, uh, they they get involved in lots of different things and they're being trained up for a lifetime of potential full-time ministry. And each year that we've done that, God has been wonderfully kind to us in raising up godly and gifted people to take on that role. We've got eight starting in just over a week, September 1. Now really, it's a giveaway ministry. As a church, we give significant amounts of money to this investment every year and it's crazy in the world's eyes because most of the benefit is felt elsewhere. 
They go on to affect ministries and churches and gospel work all over the world. Let me give me some examples. Tim Dennis uh, was with us in 2002 and 3. He's now working for UCCF in Sheffield and Hull. Helen Boucher in 2003 was with us, now full-time youth worker in Kendray. Miriam and Ed Neal, 2003, again uh, working towards ordained ministry in Ireland. Mark Addison, 2004-05, now doing youth work in Shropshire. Lewis Green, 2005-06, UCCF in Newcastle. Joe Houghton, oh, we haven't got rid of him yet. Uh, Anna Pontefract training uh, for full-time ministry in South Africa and Stewie Chaplin and Catherine Chaplin, uh, this is their last Sunday, heading off to Woke Hill again, preparing for a lifetime of ministry. So many churches will benefit because of this investment. But here's where the figures start to get extraordinary. Here's where you see just how shrewd this really is. Over time, each one of these people will impact the lives of tens, hundreds, thousands with the gospel. Many will hear, some will be saved and they'll come to faith and they too will go on their way with this wonderful message affecting tens, hundreds, thousands. You show me an investment like that. Now all of this will happen because people back here used their money shrewdly. They saw the moment of opportunity, they felt the crisis of that moment and they acted. They could have used their money for all sorts of things, many of them valid, but they didn't. And now the cause of Christ and the message of his gospel will be heard by thousands more. Now I want you to imagine those people, the people who have put that money forward, arriving in heaven, welcomed by their king. How good will that moment be? But then the icing on the cake, as they look around heaven, they see a whole lot of faces from this nation and from all around the globe. People whom they've never met and yet they're acting like they're their best friends. Saying, brother, thank you. Were it not for you, I would have never heard. That is what it looks like to make friends with your money. You see, this is no game that Jesus is playing at. This is very real. This is our core business for him and for his people because time is short and you and I are in the position to use our substantial resources to make friends with our money. And the great joy for me of this place, this church family, is that that is already happening and think about the, uh, the recent reappointment of, a, of another church planter, David and Ali Middleton. We just prayed for them before. They're going to be here in a, in a matter of weeks and Ed and Helen are about to head off uh, to Encliffe. How exciting is that? I mean, it's almost like a relay, isn't it? The baton change. You can see Ed and his team are about to head off and David's about to come. And again, it's a giveaway ministry. Crazy in our world's eyes. We set aside money as a church to have someone to come and work among us to take people from us and go away. But what an investment in God's kingdom. Now think about what's happened with Christchurch Central. Think about what is going to happen with Christchurch Encliffe and pray for that. What will God have us do next? I hope you're praying for that. I hope you're planning to give to that cause, perhaps even go. And what about the student work? Huge payoff, huge impact as students come into Sheffield and then go all throughout the UK and beyond. And you see the blessing that God gives us when we are faithful in in putting money forward for that. The wonderful work that David Todd has done amongst us. God is faithful to us every time we act shrewdly. And then there's the the funds that we put forward to to produce courses like Christianity Explored, the paying for the materials and the food. 
But what a benefit, what a, what a payoff, what a profit when we see someone come to the Lord. And then there's all the funds we give to youth and children's ministry. There's 170 in Sedberg right now. That costs a lot of money. As we put money forward for these things and many more things that I've not mentioned, what we will find is that when we reach that great day in heaven, there will be countless people whose eternal futures have been influenced by our shrewd use of our money. Now that's amazing. Now you might be sitting here thinking, that sounds great, but I'm not in a position to be involved like that. Perhaps you're not earning at the moment or perhaps you've had your pay cut substantially in the climate that we're in. You're thinking to yourself, you know, look, this, this sounds great, all this talk about investment, but I'm not, I'm not some business mogul, I'm not looking for the next investment. I'm just trying to keep my head above water. Perhaps you're earning very little. Well, can I encourage you, whatever position you are in, to take this opportunity to set a pattern, to act truly within those resources. This is not a story just for the big spenders. This is for anyone who would seek to honour God with the money that they've been given. And so review your shrewdness or get into the patterns of investing perhaps for the first time in gospel ministry, even if it is on a small scale. When you think about it, take something as simple as a £20 note. Who knows where it's been in the past, what it's been used for, but it's yours right now. Now think of what you could do with it. Jesus says, be shrewd. Imagine if I gave it to the ministry of this church. It's not much on its own, is it? It's not going to do much, but stacked up alongside a whole bunch of similar investments, now you start to see what Jesus is talking about. As I give that £20 forward, this church is freed up more and more to make decisions about promoting the gospel. Now, wouldn't it be great to meet up in eternal dwellings with thousands of people who know Jesus because this church honoured Christ with its money for the next hundred years? Do you see the huge payoff that we're talking about here? This is big business. And what of the rest of us, myself included, who have money, who are in a position to think about how to use that money? Well, what's it going to mean for us, given that this is our core business? Well, it strikes me that elsewhere in the Bible, when God speaks about this sort of thing, he speaks about sacrifice and giving money and generosity. But that's not the picture here. Jesus isn't asking us to sacrifice anything. He's talking about an investment. If we're going to be shrewd about our money, I think Luke 16 says it's going to mean three things as we finish. Firstly, know your situation. You're a Christian. You have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. You are looking forward to heaven. You have the most precious treasure a person can have, relationship with Jesus. You know that time is short that in just a little while the king will return and this will all be over. And so given this, when it comes to your money, you have the responsibility of knowing your situation, to know the resources that are at your disposal. I mean, they may have changed recently. Well, you may be about to start work for the first time. Know your resources. And don't trick yourself with this. I suspect with, with our uh, giving, uh, what we often do is that we, we sort of hive off all the, all the commitments that we have, our, our mortgage, our cars, our food, our school fees, whatever it might be, and then we've got this small little bit of disposable income and that's what we start talking about when we talk about investing in God's work. Jesus is talking about your first fruits here. Know where your money goes. You are a fund manager. Act like one. Take great care with it. 
Could you give an account? Know your situation. Secondly, make a plan. And we're about to embark on a new year as a church family and in October what we're going to do is we're going to set a vision for the year ahead, October the 11th. We're going to devote that Sunday to doing that, to see where we're heading as a church, how we are going to honour God together. That Sunday is going to mark a moment, I think, for each one of us to act on this story, to act like shrewd managers together with the funds that God has given us. So be excited about that. See the opportunity it will be for you to invest at whatever level is shrewd. Get ready. Start making plans. This is your core business. As I said, it's easy, I think, to trick our minds into thinking that our mortgages or cars or holidays or school fees are the big business of our lives and this is is the side project I'm involved in. Now, we never say that, but we can often act that way. Jesus says the children of the world should never lose sight of their core, children of the light should never lose sight of their core business. As we finish, let me give you one more example of the world, the company Ford. Really, uh, Ford's core business is quite simple, very boring saloon family cars. They make lots of them, rectangular square cars, they push them out the production line and they sell millions. Now, along the way, they've dabbled in luxury cars, Austin Martin, Jaguar, but in recent times, as profits have dipped and dipped and dipped, they've dropped those luxuries cold because they know their core business. And when that was threatened, they dropped those other things in a moment. Now, if money is tight, and for many it is, what goes first? Gospel ministry or Sky TV? Gospel ministry or the second car? Gospel ministry or the school fees. Now none of these things are in and of themselves the problem. They're great blessings from God, aren't they? But Jesus says, know your business. Know what you're investing in. If Jesus is king, if he is coming soon, then gospel ministry is your core business. And it doesn't mean that you don't have other business, but it does mean that if that business is threatened, you will drop other things for it. Let me say, if you're not a Christian here this morning and you're hearing this, let me say, fear not. Uh, I'm not asking for your money. Now, this is not a confidence trick. Please keep it. God doesn't want your money. He wants much, much more. He wants what's his. He wants you. But if you are a Christian, how are you going as a fund manager 2009? Are you happy with that role? Are you happy being God's fund manager with your money? How could you tell? Well, here's a test. If you've hated this sermon, it's probably because you're a dodgy fund manager. (laughs) Either that or you hate my Australian accent. I can't do much about that. But it could well be because deep down, although you love hearing of Jesus of sins forgiven, of the wonderful hope you have, you don't like the idea that he has claimed complete authority over everything that you thought was yours, that you are living in someone else's world using someone else's stuff. We are very protective of what we think is ours. But here's the thing. Your God is very protective of what he knows is his, about what matters to him and your money is part of that. You want to see how much he cares about what is his? At the very end of the book of Jonah, God shows his heart for what is his. 
looking over the great city of Nineveh, he says, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Now Sheffield's population is much larger and the vast, vast majority do not know the king is coming soon. That's no small problem, is it? Because in the end, this will all pass. It will be over in a moment and the things that will matter are questions of eternal homes. This is the big business God is involved in and he is pouring all his resources into it, some of which is the money he's given you to manage. It's time to be shrewd with it, to feel the crisis, to assess the situation, to work out the possibilities and invest and look forward to the day when you will see the fruit of that shrewdness. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your grace that although you were rich, yet for our sakes you became poor. Father, we thank you for your utter commitment to the rescue of this world. Uh, We thank you for rescuing us. We thank you for the price that you paid. Father, we thank you for the wonderful work that you allow us to be part of. Father, help us uh, to honour you uh, with our money. Amen.